Our second lesson continues in Matthew's gospel and is in the midst of Jesus' discussion about the church, particularly about conflict within the church. In fact, next week, our lesson will pick up right where we leave off today in Matthew 18, giving us a little two-week mini-series on life together in the church, sometimes rocky life together in the church, um, which is, is always a timely topic to, to think about uh, in, in how we, we are and do the work of, of the church as Christ's body uh, today or in any day. I invite you to listen with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the 18th chapter of Matthew, beginning with the 15th verse. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you, so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. In seminary, I spent a lot of Sundays doing supply preaching uh, for usually very small churches far out in the country. At times, these churches would also ask me to teach a Sunday school class. And usually, to be honest, we wouldn't have very many people show up. Without fail, whenever this happened, someone would break the awkward ice by saying, hey, you know, Jesus said where two or three are gathered in my name, right? This verse that, that ends our reading is a beloved one for small country churches. It reminds them of Jesus' presence with them, even when their way of church looks worlds apart from their friends' churches or the big box megachurch down the road from them. It reminds them that Jesus is with them. Perhaps in this way, it can also be a beloved verse for the church in this strange new time of COVID-19. I learned a lot about the church from these steadfast communities about who we are as the body of Christ, that there's no one-size-fits-all model to church. Most importantly, though, they taught me a lot about how to handle the messy, inevitable conflicts that occur when broken people gather together as a congregation. I find it interesting that these beloved words of Jesus in our gospel reading, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm with them, are not given as a separate saying, but rather they're given in the context of specific instructions on how to deal with conflict in the community. Gospel writer Matthew is particularly concerned about the church. He's the only gospel writer to even use the word church in his account of Jesus, but in particular, he's concerned about how this church should live together in community. Despite his affection toward the church, Matthew certainly doesn't view it through rose-colored glasses. 
Inevitably, when people get together, conflict will happen. Matthew's Jesus provides us some guidance on how we are to deal with conflict and hurt in the life of the church. He says, when another member of the church sins against you, point it out to them when the two of you are alone. If they listen, great, move on. If not, take one or two people with you so that you have some witnesses. If the person still doesn't listen, share it with the church to see that if the community can bring the two of you back together. Scholar Audrey West is careful to note here that Jesus certainly does not intend for this to be a one-size-fits-all model for reconciliation. In modern community life, such a model in certain circumstances could lead to very disastrous results. Unfortunately, churches taking these words literally and universally have caused generations of embarrassment and hurt in Christian communities. You know, rather than a play-by-play for any conflict at all times in the church, what's important here in Jesus' guidance really is the big picture. And what's that? Reconciliation. Jesus guides his church to seek reconciliation not once, not twice, but three times with someone who's wronged you. Jesus guides his church to seek relentless reconciliation in the midst of conflict. It's not until one has exhausted every option for reconciliation that a person can be written off as, in Jesus' terms, a Gentile or tax collector. In other words, as someone out of communion with you. This runs counter to our world, doesn't it? Our tendency usually is when we've been wronged or offended is not to reconcile directly with that person, but rather to consider them a tax collector or Gentile immediately. We're much more likely to complain about it to someone else, or perhaps use other passive-aggressive means like a cryptic rant on social media. Or perhaps in the workplace, we might be more likely to file a grievance with HR about your coworker's loud radio instead of asking them directly and politely to simply turn it down. Jesus' words here share that we need one another. We need to be reconciled with each other. And importantly, that we need to relentlessly pursue it. This is a message we need, friends. In this time of pandemic, when every person has a different comfort level about what is and is not safe, in this moment of reckoning on racial injustice when our brothers and sisters of color are sharing their experiences of hurt, in this bitterly divisive election season when a neighbor's lawn sign immediately makes us consider them a tax collector or Gentile. Friends, we need this message from Jesus right here and now. I know I do. We need to share openly and honestly with each other when we feel we've been wronged. We need to listen earnestly and openly to our brothers and sisters who share when we've caused hurt to them. We need to model the relentless reconciliation that God has pursued with us, even sending God's own Son and Word incarnate in order to reconcile us with God and each other. The good news, friends, that Jesus tells us it's in just these moments of conflict, 
It's just in these moments of messy, awkward moments of honesty and listening. It's just in these times when we gather together in pursuit of reconciliation. It's in these moments that Jesus promises he is with us. This doesn't mean that it's easy. But we can be assured of the promise of Emmanuel. That God is with us in the midst of conflict and reconciliation. Christ's promise to be with us in the midst of difficult conversations leads us ultimately to his table. Where he promises to gather us together with people from every time and place, from every party and ideology, to gather us together here at his table to feed us with his life, death, and resurrection. It's here where we remember his promise that when two or three are gathered in his name, he shows up. He is present. And it is here where we can be strengthened to relentlessly seek reconciliation with one another, that we might continue to grow more and more in the likeness and image of our Lord as we're fed by him at his table. Friends, may it be so for us and for all. Amen.